Deuteronomy chapter 1. These are the words Moses spoke to all Israel in the desert east of the Jordan, that is in the Arabah opposite Suf, between Paran and Tophel, Laban, Hazaroth, and Dizahab. It takes 11 days to go from Horeb to Kadesh Barnea by the Mount Seir road. In the 40th year, on the first day of the 11th month, Moses proclaimed to the Israelites all that the Lord had commanded him concerning them. This was after he had defeated Sion, king of the Amorites, who reigned in Heshbon, and Edrael had defeated Og, king of Bashan, who reigned in Ashtaroth. East of the Jordan, in the territory of Moab, Moses began to expound this law, saying, The Lord our God said to us at Horeb, You have stayed long enough at this mountain. Break camp and advance into the hill country of the Amorites. Go to all the neighboring peoples in the Arabah, in the mountains, in the western foothills, in the Negev and along the coast, to the land of the Canaanites and to Lebanon, as far as the great river of the Euphrates. See, I have given you this land. Go in and take possession of the land that the Lord swore he would give to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, and to their descendants after him. And then over in chapter 30, verse 11, this is entitled, The Offer of Life or Death. Moses speaking, Now what I am commanding you today is not too difficult for you or beyond your reach. It is not up in heaven so that you have to ask, Who will ascend into heaven to get it and proclaim it to us so that we may obey it? Nor is it beyond the sea so that you have to ask, Who will cross the sea to get it and proclaim it to us so that we may obey it? No, the word is very near you. It's in your mouth and in your heart so that you may obey it. See, I set before you today life and prosperity, death and destruction. For I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in his ways, and to keep his commands, decrees, and laws. Then you will live and increase, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land you are entering to possess. But if your heart turns away and you are not obedient... And if you're drawn away to bow down to other gods and worship them, I declare to you this day that you will certainly be destroyed. You will not live long in the land you are crossing the Jordan to enter and possess. This day I call heaven and earth as witnesses against you that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life so that you and your children may live and that you may love the Lord your God, listen to his voice and hold fast to him. For the Lord is your life and he will give you many years in the land he swore to give to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. This is God's word and we're going to respond to it just before Christoph comes by singing again a song, Praise is rising.
sounds of hearts returning to you. Lord, you're the place where broken lives are made new. Help us today, whether our hearts are hard, no matter how distracted we are, to be ready to meet with you, to hear your words, and to find new life. Amen. Billy's already said, and I think done a brilliant job of preparing us um, for coming to, to God's Word today. He uh, flagged up that we're starting a new series today. Uh, we're studying a book of 34 chapters um, in the Old Testament, Deuteronomy. Hands up who's read Deuteronomy. A few people have. Good. We're going to be spending the, the autumn term from now till uh, Christmas time. Uh, looking at this book. Uh, a few people who uh, have maybe mentioned that too in conversation, uh, been, it's a mixture of wishing me luck and prayerfulness when I said we're going to have a, a go at Deuteronomy. Uh, I think it's, it's going to be a, a brilliant 
maybe I should put it like this. Deuteronomy is a brilliant book. Hope um, that we can uh, find uh, a good with the book here. Uh, I notice I'm booming a wee bit. Uh, let me check if the wire there's in a bad place. Uh, that might help. We're going to start our series this morning um, by just going to the, going to the movies. We're going to watch um, a short clip. It's about, it's 100 seconds uh, from the start of a movie. It's really some of the most iconic footage in modern British cinema history. So Uh, Let's watch that clip just now. Choose life. Choose a job. Choose a career. Choose a family. Choose a fucking big television. Choose washing machines, cars, compact displays and electrical tin openings. health, low cholesterol and dental insurance. Choose fixed interest mortgage repayments. Choose a starter home. Choose your friends. Choose leisure wear and matching luggage. Choose a three-piece suite on higher purchase and a range of fucking fabrics. Choose DIY and wondering who the fuck you are on a Sunday morning. Choose sitting on that couch watching mind-numbing, spirit-crushing game shows, stuffing fucking junk food into your mouth. away at the end of it all, pissing your last in a miserable home, nothing more than an embarrassment to the selfish, fucked up brats that you've spawned to replace yourselves. Choose your future, choose life. But why would I want to do a thing like that? I chose not to choose life. I chose something else. And the reasons? There are no reasons. Who needs reasons when you've got head on? I I hope you weren't too offended by that. Um, There were bad words in there. Um, I hope we know, by the way, that um, in this world that God so loves, uh, people use bad words. We know that, don't we? And there was drug taking in there. Um... A lot of the people that Jesus died to save are trapped in drugs. We know that, don't we? So it's okay to, to remind ourselves of that in a, in a place like this. I hope that's okay. We've just watched the opening 100 seconds or so of a Trainspotting 1996 film uh, based on Irving Welsh's screenplay depicting the lives of four Edinburgh uh, friends. Uh, You might not have been able to make out all of uh, Renton's voiceover speech, so here it is in full on a few slides. Choose life, choose a job, choose a career, choose a lovely big television, choose washing machines, cars, compact disc players, and electric tin openers. Choose good health, low cholesterol, and dental insurance, Choose fixed interest mortgage repayments. Choose a starter home. Choose your friends. 
choose leisure wear and matching luggage, choose a three-piece suite on higher purchase in a range of lovely fabrics, choose DIY and wondering who on earth you are on a Sunday morning, choose sitting on that couch watching mind-numbing, spirit-crushing game shows, stuffing junk food into your mouth. Choose rotting away at the end of it all in a miserable home, nothing more than an embarrassment to the selfish brats you spawn to replace yourselves. Choose your future. Choose life. I said a moment ago that I hoped you weren't uh, offended by the clip. I've edited out the bad language so you don't have to look at it as well as hear it. The thing that I find offensive about this uh, clip isn't the language and it's not the drug taking. What's offensive to me is the truth that it tells about the lives that we're living in modern day Britain. In the opening scene of this movie, Irving Welsh is giving the character Mark Renton a look at the Britain he was living in, and he has him holding up a mirror and showing it back to us, and he says, this is the life that's on offer. The speech hasn't quite ended at the point that we are in our slides. After telling us about, about the life that he's seen, Renton goes on to tell us how he responds. Choose life, but why would I want to do a thing like that? I choose not to choose life. I chose something else. And the reasons? There are no reasons. Who needs reasons when you've got heroin? That opening scene launches us into Danny Boyle's memorable movie. By the way, I'm not recommending that you go home and watch Trainspotting, okay? The movie's 21 years old. You will know by now whether you're the kind of person who will be edified by watching that movie or not. I can still remember the first time I saw it, and I found found it hugely prophetic, particularly these opening scenes, just brilliant. Somebody at last willing to stand up and say, here's your culture. Here's what's really going on. This is the life that you're being invited to. This is the life you'll end up living unless you choose something different. Unless you choose not to choose life, you're going to live this life. By the way, Irving Welsh wasn't the only person in 1990s Britain who was saying this. Remember Blur, uh, the Britpop band? They sort of came into the limelight in a big way in 1994 with their album Park Life. Well, they'd made two previous albums, and the album before Park Life um, had this cover. Modern life is rubbish. In 1993 gives us an idea of how these young musicians and artists felt about the Britain that they were growing up in. Uh, I was reading a little bit of the background of uh, this album, and um, it turns out the band recorded most of the songs. Um, Let's see. I'll try one last thing, and then I'll um, go to plan B. Damon Albarn was explaining that most of these songs were recorded in 1992 at a time when the band were touring in America. And he says they were a direct reaction to the vacuous that America was filling us with. 
So in the 1990s, in my early adult years, as I was, uh, I guess, setting the course for the life that I was going to live, the musicians and the movie makers were warning us. They were showing us uh, things that we weren't seeing or, or maybe choosing not to see or were too polite to talk about in a place like this in church. Modern life is rubbish in the UK, in the USA, pretty much all over. Those, those examples I've given are, are from, from the past, really from a, a generation ago. Uh, somebody was good enough to be in touch they, when, when they heard about this Choose Life idea. They reminded me of the, the, the Wham! movement of the early 80s where people wore Choose Life t-shirts. Now, it was one of our elders was in touch about this and he asked if, if Kirk Session members or elders should be wearing Wham! t-shirts to discipleship groups this week. I'm okay with that. And... Go, go for it. Um, 80s, 90s, but it's still happening today, isn't it? Irving Welsh is still at it. Uh, one of the reasons I thought to go down this route was because of uh, the new movie which came out this year, T2 Trainspotting. Trainspotting 2, we find the same characters, Renton, Sick Boy, Begbie, and Spud, they're reunited. And what Welsh does is interesting. He, he realizes, uh, or he, he knows that the, the Choose Life speech uh, was an absolutely iconic and fundamental part of the movie back then. So guess what? There's a, a new Choose Life speech updated for our times. Choose Life. Choose Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. And hope that someone somewhere cares. Choose looking up old flames and wishing you'd done it all differently. Choose watching history repeat itself. Choose your future. Choose reality TV, slut-shaming revenge porn. Choose a zero-hour contract and a two-hour journey to work. And choose the same for your kids, only worse. And smother the pain with an unknown dose of an unknown drug made in somebody's kitchen. And then, take a deep breath. You're an addict, so be addicted. Just be addicted to something else. Choose the ones you love. Choose your future. Choose life. In the 1990s, if you look at the, the speech then, it looked like the, the focus on where we were going wrong was around materialism, uh, mostly. And now the up-to-date quotation, Welsh character characterizes life in 2017, one of addiction and paranoia as zero hours contracts and social media erode our sense of what it is to be a, a human being. We long for a place where somebody really cares. Modern life was rubbish, these guys are saying in the 90s. Beware, says Welsh. Just still be rubbish today in all sorts of new ways. 1996, 2017, and we're confronted with the same question. What, what, what is this life that's on offer? How am I going to live? How am I going to choose to live? It feels like a contemporary question, and yet it's as old as the hills. Um, human beings 
for as long as we have walked the earth, we've, we've been trying to work this out. How are we going to live? And it's a question that we're going to concern ourselves with this autumn time. I'm not a film critic, um, so I'm not going to be talking very much more uh, about this movie or other movies. But I am going to be talking about God's Word, uh, the Bible. And as I've said, particularly, we're going to look at this uh, book of Deuteronomy. I think it's a masterful invitation that Moses gives there for us to choose life. In the passage which we read this morning, uh, particularly the second passage in chapter 30, with Moses, he's the chief character in this book. He's summarizing what's really, uh, I guess, he's summarizing what he said in the previous 29 chapters, what he's been telling his audience throughout this long book. Look at verse 19. I wonder if this captures the message of the book as well as any verse does. I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life so that you and your children may live. Irving Welsh is pretty late to this party, isn't he? Inviting us to choose life. 3,000 or more years ago, Moses was confronting God's people with the very same message. We're going to choose to study this book this autumn. I was trying to think, I suppose I want to invite you into it as much as anything today, get you interested and get you maybe engaging with Deuteronomy yourself. So I was thinking of reasons why we should study Deuteronomy at a time like this. I could offer a long list, and I've read and heard quite a long list, but I'm going to offer you just two. Two reasons why we should study Deuteronomy together. Deuteronomy is the greatest sermon ever preached. Now, that might be debatable. I appreciate that. But nobody ever got anywhere by understatement. So, greatest sermon ever preached. The whole book of Deuteronomy is effectively one long sermon or two or three sermons in a series woven together. We'll talk more about that uh, as we go on, but... It's a, a wonderful, wonderful piece. It's 40 years since the Exodus. God's used Moses, this prince of Egypt, as we call him, to bring his people out of that land, out of the slavery, into the land of promise. The journey wasn't supposed to last for 40 years, but it did. And if you know the story, you'll know why. A catastrophic failure on the part of the people to obey God. And because of that, a whole generation of people had died out in the desert. The guys who left Egypt are not the guys who are here in this sermon. They're gone. And now that this new generation of God's people is on the border of the promised land, they're ready to enter it, ready to make it their home. They can smell it and see it. They're over there. Just a few miles away now is this land that God has promised. And this old man rises to his feet to speak. And what does he do? As I say, gives one of the greatest speeches in all of history. Who is Moses? Well, we've got to remember this. For 50 years or so, he's been leading these people 
This rabble that he went and engaged with in Egypt has become a nation. Under his leadership, they've received God's law. They've been told that they're God's treasured possession, that they're the nation that he wants to use to change the world. Everyone sitting in the plane that day had been born and had lived under Moses' leadership. He dominated their whole lives. Moses was, we talk about a spiritual father. I don't know if it's ever been more true of any community than Israel at this moment under Moses. So the people, the people are, are full of anticipation because they're about to enter the land. They realize the importance of the moment of what Moses is going to say to them here. But what makes it even, even more poignant, I think, is that Moses knows he's not going into the land. It's the last time he's going to preach for them. This is the last message he gets to give to these people. He's about to die. So if you imagine a sermon like that, it's going to pack some emotional punch. Got me thinking what it would be like to, to project forward a bit and imagine that I stay here to be your minister until I retire. I'd have been your minister then for 34 years. Or if we imagine even a bit more that we'd, uh, the kind of relationship where you invited me back, even in my retirement, it could easily be that my period of engagement with the congregation would be 40 years or even 50. And I'm putting myself in Moses' shoes and I'm wondering, what do you say to people whom you've grown up with people whom you've shared the huge majority of your life with, what, what message could you possibly give them? And Moses says, listen, I've set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life so that you and your children may live. Folks, I don't know what you think of me. I don't know what you believe to be my motivations in the work that I do here. But all I've ever wanted for you and all I will ever want for you is that you find more life. And I'll keep pointing you to the place where I think that life is to be found. In Jesus Christ further and deeper with him. Deuteronomy, why study it? It's the mother of all biblical sermons. If that wasn't a good enough reason to study this book, then let me offer you this second reason. This is a part of the Bible that Jesus loved. We're disciples of Jesus Christ. If you're new to Kirkpatrick Memorial, you'll hear me say that today, but you'll hear me say that nearly every time I speak because that's who we are. We're people who are apprenticing ourselves to Jesus Christ. We want to learn from Jesus Christ how to live the life that he's made us for. And it seems to me that if we really took that to heart, then the things that are interesting or exciting to Jesus should become exciting to us. Anything that, that Jesus seems to be into, we would want to be into. 
And if we learned that Jesus loved a particular book of the Bible, that it had nurtured his faith, that it had been vitally important to him in his spiritual formation, that he was constantly quoting from it and pointing other people to it, wouldn't we want to look? Well, there's no book that Jesus quoted more often than the book of Deuteronomy. He knew and loved this part of the Bible. Came home to me quite uh, forcibly there in May of this year. I was following the Bible reading plan that some of us are doing here in church. And I was reading Luke's gospel a couple of weeks after reading Deuteronomy. I don't know about you, but I read stuff and eventually I forget it all. Or it feels like all. But I hadn't quite forgotten it yet. So the Deuteronomy stuff was still in my mind and I was reading Luke's gospel. In chapter 4 of Luke's gospel, I came to the record of, uh, remember Jesus in the desert and Satan comes to tempt him? If you're the son of God, tell this stone to become bread, Satan says, first temptation. Jesus answers, it is written, man doesn't live by bread alone. Well, where's that written? Jesus quoting some part of the Bible. Where is that written? Well, we look it up and we discover that it's Deuteronomy. Chapter 8, verse 4. Satan comes back with a second temptation. Shows Jesus all the kingdoms of the world. And he says, if you worship me, all of this will be yours. And Jesus answers, it is written. Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Where is that written? Well, it's tucked away. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 13. Satan comes with a third temptation, takes him to the highest point of the temple. Uh, Many of you know this. Asks him to throw himself down to test God, to see if God will send angels to protect him. What is it Jesus says? It says, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Guess where that's coming from? Okay? You see the pattern? Deuteronomy chapter 6, this time verse 16. If we want to grow as disciples of Jesus Christ, then the things that excite Jesus become the things that excite us. The things that shaped his world, we immediately want to be shaping our world. The influences that he opened himself to are the very ones that we seek out and open ourselves to. Why do we study Deuteronomy? Only two reasons out of a long list I could have given. It's the the greatest of biblical sermons, and it's the book that Jesus loved. Now here's the thing. A lot of our preaching works quite well without you guys having to do a whole lot between Sundays. And what I mean by that is, the series we've just finished, for example, Luke's Gospel, we've just been taking chunk after chunk after chunk. So whenever you show up, some Sunday. It's just the next 12 or 20 verses of Luke's gospel. And it doesn't really take much participation on your part to make that work. I'm not sure we can do Deuteronomy like that. It's 34 chapters long. I'm not planning to to do it half a chapter at a time. That's that's a long time, you know. Uh, We're not going to do that. We're going to do Deuteronomy in a different kind of a way, moving through it, but, but more like noticing themes. So what would be brilliant is if you read it and were reading it 
during these next three or four months. So why don't we choose reading? Why don't we choose to read Deuteronomy? Uh, A lot of you put your hand up already and said that you have read it, so I'm inviting you to read it again. Um, Maybe you have an encyclopedic knowledge, uh, memory, and just have it all there in front of you. I'm going to guess most of us are not like that, so we'd benefit from a reread. For those of you who have never read it before, well, here's something new. We all love something new, don't we? I mean... Do you notice the way the years all run into one and they're all the same? Well, if you read Deuteronomy, this year is going to be different. Because this is the year you've read Deuteronomy. See that? Something new? Um, Some of us, as you know, are on a Bible reading plan. We call it the Community Bible Experience. We aim to read about four chapters a day. I was thinking, well, how do we do Deuteronomy? And I thought, well, let's start by just throwing it out there. What about a chapter a day? Or if you're somebody who would find it hard to read every day, why not read for half an hour a week? Read this book. You'll set off into it, I promise you, you'll find parts of it weird. But sure, we're here every Sunday. It's like rehab. We'll read it and then we'll come and we'll talk about what we're reading. Okay? Um, If you read a chapter every day, you'd get through the book in just over a month. You'd read it three times before Christmas, even if you miss a couple of days here and there. Um, I know we'd like to give... We're getting very cosmopolitan in in Ballyhackamore these days. I noticed the the new trendy cafe there beside the bike shop is called uh, Piccolo Coppi. So Coppi is uh, an Italian cyclist. There's a restaurant in town named after Coppi. So the same owner has opened up here. And this is obviously... Piccolo is the Italian word for little. So it's Piccolo Coppi. Well, this is Piccolo Bible experience, Okay. Just, just one book. The hardcore guys are doing 66 books. You're just doing one. And I'm inviting you to consider doing that. Uh, we will send out a couple of things in our weekly email that will help you. This is a, a wee poster that gives a cartoon outline of the whole of the book of Deuteronomy. It's very good. We've printed 50 copies of those, and they're out there in the vestibule. Grab one of those, or else if you're on our... Uh, email distribution will attach it to that and you can uh, access it and print it at home. Choose reading. Choose to read God's word. There's a brilliant phrase and we'll take more time with it on a Sunday in the future. Moses towards the end of his sermon says an amazing thing. It just jumped off the page for me this time around when I read Deuteronomy. He says these are not idle words for you. They are your life. We don't show up here just to read the Bible to pass half an hour. I'm not stupid. I know that there's, you know, we can be online, we can be stimulated with anything we want from anywhere in the world at any time. Of course I know that. But these aren't idle words. They are your life. Folks, if we read this book, we're going to be confronted with some brilliant biblical teaching. Moses' great sermon. He's going to point people back to the mistakes that they made. And he said, don't live like that. Choose life. And he's going to imagine his way into the future. He's going to say, in some time, you're going to be in the land. Your years as slaves, your years of wandering in the desert, they're over. A time is coming when you'll be settled, you'll be comfortable, and you will forget about God. 
Don't do it. Choose life, he says. And as we get to spend some time with Moses and to see what's important to him, I think it's going to help us. It's going to sharpen our senses to the, the life that is no life. Death. And whet our appetite to find real and deep life. The life that Jesus Christ, the greater Moses, came to bring. Jesus talked a lot about life because he wanted you to have it. He said on one occasion, I'm the way, the truth, and the the life. On another occasion he said, I've come that they might have life and have it to the full. Folks, are you haunted today by the sense that your life isn't all that it could be? That you're not living the life that you were made for. Have you been coming to the conclusion with Irving Welsh and Blur and countless others if we take time to listen to them? That modern life, what's on offer in the culture is rubbish. I heard a guy talking one time and he was talking about how churches are tempted to mimic the culture, to make the church as much like the culture as possible. And this guy said a brilliant thing. He said, relevance in a culture of death is death. We don't want to make our church a place where it's offering only death. We want to hold out to you the words of life, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the message of God's word. Let's join together and let's pray. Lord, it's uh, an uncomfortable message uh, to to consider that the the everyday life, the, the life as is that's on offer around us is no life at all. But it's a way that leads only to death. Lord, thank you that you love us enough to point that out to us. Lord, one of the things we'll see as we study Deuteronomy is that there is a way of curse and of death. Lord, we pray that this season in our lives we'd be open to hearing that, that warning from you. Lord, that it would, would pierce us to the heart and that it would be the beginning of something beautiful and new, an appetite to live life, to live the life that Jesus came to give us, the life that you created us for. Lord, I pray that today you'd get us started Unsettle us with where we are and bring us to the land of promise, the place of joy and of life with you. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.